There we go. Breaking into all the chatter. I love it. Let's grab our Bible and turn to 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 5. I just want to say thank you to Jonah for uh, teaching uh, last week uh, as I was away with my, my kids uh, at a, one of their basketball tournaments. So uh, thankful to have Jonah come in and step in and, and teach and tell everybody how old I was. It was really nice of him to do that as well. So uh, he said 45. I'm 35. Uh, he was off by a little bit. Um, but uh, no, uh, thankful, thankful to, uh, to have him uh, fill in and teach and does such a good job with that. Uh, come back tonight, if you would. Come back tonight at 5 o'clock. Just throw that on your calendar right now. I'll buzz you a half hour before. Come on down, and we'll have a, a good hour together tonight together. But right now, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and so let me just read. We're going to read verse uh, 5 and 6 and 7 together, and then we're going to talk about uh, humility this morning. Verse 5 of 1 Peter 5, it says this, "'Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders.'" Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. It's clear that the, the theme or the topic of these verses is humility. There's two major ones. It's pride and it's humility. And two weeks ago, we talked about pride. And this morning, we're going to talk about humility, what it is that God is for. Humility is one of those things that once you've got it, uh, you've immediately lost it. One of those things where uh, you earn a master's degree in humility You've earned immediately a doctorate in pride. Pride is also one of those things that's easily identified in others and hard to identify in yourself. Jonathan Edwards says this about pride. It is the worst viper that is in the heart. It is the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It is the most hidden secret and deceitful of all the lusts. We said that a couple weeks ago, that that is what pride is is really all about. It's, it's a highness. It's a, uh, 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 one of the words is for straining of the neck that's used in the Old Testament, where you're, you're straining your, your, your neck out and looking down upon other people. It's a loftiness, a puffed upness, a high-mindedness. It's, in the New Testament, there's a word that's used for pride. It's blindness. Blind to your own sin, blind to your own pride. Stuart Scott says this, and I said this a couple weeks ago, but just by way of refresher when it comes to pride, he says this, prideful people believe that they are or should be the source of what is good, what is right and worthy of praise. They also believe that they, by themselves, are or should be the accomplisher of anything that is worthy to accomplish. In essence, they are believing that all things should be from them, through them, and to them, and for them. Pride is competitive towards others, and especially towards God. Pride wants to be on top, and it's no wonder then that the Bible says over and over and over again that God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to those who are competitive towards Him. God is opposed to those who want the glory. God is opposed to those who think they're higher and mightier than God Himself or, or try to remove God and play God for their own little kingdom. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests the proud 
Proverbs 18.11 or Proverbs 8.13 says to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil speech and perverse speech. And so here's Peter. He's pitching now. It's the bottom of the ninth in this letter. And he wants to make sure that his readers understand that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, which is the background of this letter, in the midst of Nero dragging Christians out of their home and persecuting them, in the midst of, as he talks about in chapter 2, unruly bosses, unruly government, unbelieving spouses in chapter 3 and verse 1, as we talk about people being unloving and hateful and hurtful, here's what I want the church to be known as, those who are humble towards one another. He says it, put on humility. And then he says it in verse six, humble yourselves. And in the immediate context here, the bigger letter is persecution. The immediate context here in, in, verse, in chapter five, verses one to four is leadership. Humility must be a defining characteristic of church leadership. Humility is a part of shepherding. To care for the flock of God, the leaders must be humble. You cannot expect the church of God to be humble if the leadership is not humble. Hosea said it like this, like people, like priests. You'll become like those you follow. And so it's important here, as Peter is is writing this letter and he starts talking about leadership, He starts talking about shepherding the flock of God. He makes sure that we understand that leadership in the church must be humble because the people will follow that. He even points out for us, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, all this is by by way of review here just to kind of get us going, build a runway here into our verses. In in, uh, uh, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. So the flip side of the coin of humility, one side humility, the other side is submission. Young people on occasion or, or could have a tendency to want to uh, overstep their bounds and by way of getting ahead of the leadership. And so he says, be submissive, be subject to the elders. And then he says this, Look what it says. Clothe yourselves, all of you. He moves from the leadership to the younger, now to everybody. And he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? With humility towards one another. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but he he gives grace to the humble. God has a special favor for those who humble themselves. A special grace for those who humble themselves. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is what it says. It says, but to this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humility, write this down. Humility draws the attention of God. Humility draws the favor of God. Humility draws the eye of God. You want the attention of God? You want the favor of God? You want the eye of God on your life? Then you must humble yourselves. I can remember back in college, a long time ago, yes, but I still remember college, and I remember this girl walking by. Her name was Erin Stoic. And Aaron Stoic played on the basketball team. That was very attractive to me. 
And I thought to myself, I need to get her attention. I need to find ways to get the eye of Aaron off of everyone else and onto me. And so you do things, right, to get the attention of the person that you find interest in. You find ways to be where they're at. You find ways to get their attention upon you. If you want the attention of God upon you, you want the eye of God upon you, it is very clear by which you're supposed to do. You are to humble yourselves. You want the stiff arm of God? You want the Heisman from God, the stiff arm from God? Go ahead and be a proud person. Walk around in arrogance. God will be opposed to you. But the humble, the humble are those whose God God has his special favor upon. The humble is the one that God's eye is upon. The humble are those who God is drawn to. And so Peter understands this. In the midst of, of hardship and difficulty, when, when the pressure is applied to your life and you want to get inward, you want to think about yourself, you want to think about your problems and what, what's going on in your life, uh, Peter makes it clear, this is what you need to do. You need to wake up every morning, clothe yourself in humility towards one another. Three times it's used, humility, grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves. This is clearly what Peter wants us to understand. And let me just help us out here by talking about what humility is. This word there, humble, gives grace to the humble. That word there is this. It literally means to bring to the ground or make level. To bring to the ground or to make level. Figuratively, it's to cause someone to lose prestige or status. Now get this, this word humble, it's in the passive voice, which indicates this, that we are to allow ourselves to be humbled by God. We are to allow ourselves to be humbled by God. Somebody else must humble us. We allow God to lower our level of autonomy in our lives and lower the level of the own estimation of ourselves. And it's done by the Spirit within us. So you could say this, is that humility is the initiative of God to show you that He is God, that He is sovereign, that His glory is our aim. Humility is the recognition that others are more important than self. We don't subscribe to songs like Frank Sinatra, My Way. I did it my way. Or, for those who are a little bit younger and don't even know who Frank Sinatra is, Aloe Black, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. You can tell everybody, oh, you can tell everybody that I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And he just keeps going. Like he's, I mean, he wants to make sure you understand who the man is. It is Aloe Black. He's the man, the man, the man. Tell everybody who he is. He's the man. Just imagine this. The Apostle Paul or John the Baptist walking around Israel. I'm the man. I'm the man. Yes, I am. Go ahead and tell everybody. 
I'm the man. No, that was the exact opposite of what John the Baptist said. You remember what John the Baptist said when when Jesus came? He said this, he said, I must decrease so that Christ can increase in my life. We follow the words of the Apostle Paul when we understand humility. When he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, 10, he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. There's still a responsibility on my part to work, work hard, though, he says this, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says this, what do you have that you did not receive? This humble attitude of understanding that everything in his life was a gift from God. Every, every, everything that he has, all of it was a gift of God. Paul understood this. This was baseline theology for Paul. I deserve nothing in this world. The very breath that I breathe, I don't even deserve that. The very life that I have, I don't deserve that. The ministry that I have, I don't deserve it. Everything was given to me by God, and just as quickly as God has given it to me, he can take it away from me. And I live in humble posture of that recognition that I am submissive to the authority and sovereignty in my life, which is almighty God. What do I have that hasn't been given to me? I didn't create myself. I didn't create my life. Yet Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. He understood there was a responsibility. When he came to the end of the day and at the end of every day, he said, it was not I, it was the grace of God within me. That's humility. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We recognize our need of, of Christ. We recognize our need of salvation we recognize that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We daily repent of our self-sufficiency. We daily repent of our pride and our arrogance in the times where we think we're in control of our own lives. And we recognize, no, God is sovereign. Andrew Murray divines humility as this. Humility is the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make a way for God to be all in all. That's humility. It's that recognition that God is sovereign. We looked at this with, with Nebuchadnezzar a couple weeks ago. That was his problem. Nebuchadnezzar was told in a dream that if you do not humble yourself, You'll be ran out of the kingdom. You will go find a tree and you will eat at that tree like a beast and, and your nails will grow long like feathers. Your hair will grow long like feathers. And then it says very clearly, until you recognize that I am the most high God. And seven years later, his reason was returned to him and he said this, I now recognize that you are the most high God. And that's humility. 
the humble see their dependence on God. The humble want no glory. The humble need no recognition. The humble only desire for God's glory to be put on display. And so that's why Peter says this so clearly. Here's what you need to do. And he uses two, two major verbs here. He says, clothe yourself and humble yourself. Clothe yourself in humility and humble yourselves in humility. Just as, uh, I guess it's been a couple of weeks ago, Shay put a book on my desk uh, called Humbled. And I thought to myself, I don't know what you mean by this, Shay, but um, I guess I need to read this book. And so I gave a copy to Jonah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, he knew I was take, uh, taking up this topic on pride and humility, and so I try to read as many books on the topic as possible, which is why I have so much content on Sunday mornings. And um, this book, Humbled, by David Mathis, if you want to get it, after we're done on Amazon, you can. Um, it's a great little book on understanding humility, but there's parts on it that was so helpful for me in understanding what this word, humble yourselves, mean. Because that, that's what we need to understand. What does it mean to humble yourselves, right? We want to get there. We all want to get there. We want to get to that point where, where, where we've humbled ourselves. Why? So, so, so God can exalt us. But what does that mean? We understand what humility is, but now, now how do I attain it? And it's super helpful. And I just want just to read some of this to you. And then I have a slide. I'll, I'll, I'll let the, the back know when to put that up. But he says this. <laughs> he starts out, David Matthews starts out by saying this. Humility is beyond our grasp. It's not something we can achieve. We might think it quintessentially American to think that we can you can do it. Be proactive. Take the first step. Grab the bull by the horns and be humble. Wake up tomorrow, guys, and just be humble tomorrow. In other words, humble yourself by your own bootstraps. But when we come to Scripture, we find ourselves in a different world. Genuine humility, as with genuine faith, is not a self-help or a life hack, but a response to divine initiative and help. It's not a self-help. It's not a life hack to find out the key to humility. And I wake up and I do these 10 steps and boom, I'm humble. And I wake up tomorrow, I do 10 more steps and boom, I'm humble. Again, he's saying, no, 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 this is, this is not how humility works. He goes on, he says over and over again in the Bible, self-humbling is not something we initiate, but something we receive, even embrace, even welcome when God does his humbling work. However, direct or indirect his means are, this invitation to humble yourselves does not come to us in a vacuum, but through our first being humbled. First, God gets our attention with disruption, then invites us to welcome his mercy, however severe and painful. Then he says this. I got a slide for this. So you guys can read this with me. Humility like faith, and as a manifestation of faith, is not an achievement. Humility is not fundamentally a human initiative, but a proper God-given response in us to God himself and his glory and his purposes in the world and in our lives. We don't teach ourselves to be humble. There's no five-step plan for becoming more humble in the next week or month. 
Within measure, we might take certain steps in faith to cultivate a posture of humility in ourselves, but the main test and opportunity comes when we are confronted, unsettled, and accosted in the moments when our semblances of control vanish and we're taken off guard by the hard edges of life in a fallen world. And the question comes to us, how will you respond to these humbling circumstances? Will you humble yourself? And so for Christians, self-humbling is mainly what? Responsive. It's responsive. We don't initiate humility, and we don't get the credit for humility. He goes on, he says, it's no less active and no less difficult, but it is responsive to God, who he is, what he has said to us in his word, and what he is doing in the world, specifically as it comes to bear and all the inconveniences and pains and disappointment in our own lives. Self-humbling is, in essence, gladly receiving God's person, words, and acts when doing so is not easy or comfortable. So first comes the trials, first come the disruptive words, first comes the the difficult situation that God initiates and puts in your life, and now you get to decide, will I humble myself in this instance? And if not, they may become more severe and more severe and more severe until you understand that God is sovereign and in control and you are not. That's totally different than lots of messages that I've heard on humility. Let me give you 10 ways to, to be humble. And, and you'll be humble. No, let's go with the, the way the, the Bible says it, and let's learn our lesson when God puts circumstances in our lives and we have to decide, okay, am I going to humble myself in this circumstance? God has initiated humility in my life and he's placed it there. Now I respond one way or the other. If you remember the story uh, uh, back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament always gives great illustration on New Testament truths. Back in the Old Testament, if you remember Pharaoh, the story of Pharaoh, and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, hey, let my people go. And he's like, no, I'm not letting you. No, why would I do that? And, well, you should do that because God sent me. That's why. But okay, uh, you're, you're going to say no. And so God sends plagues over and over again, plague after plague after plague. After the eighth plague in Exodus chapter 10 and verse, verse 3, God says this to Pharaoh, how long will you go without humbling yourself? I am placing into your life one disaster, one hardship after another. How long will you go? Meaning what? We can continually stiff arm these circumstances over and over and over again until we learn humility. Pharaoh never humbled himself. Over and over again, God would place these things in his life, 10 plagues. Never would Pharaoh learn his lesson. I want to show you here in our text, drawn from our text here, three places where God is asking you to humble yourself. Three places where God is asking you to humble yourself. This is where you grab your pen and paper and you write these things down. Okay, I want you to learn the lesson before God initiates the lesson. Okay, number one is this, humble yourself in your relationships. Humble yourself in your relationships. Look what it says. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. Where? With humility. Where? What's the next words? Towards one another. Humble yourselves in your relationships. 
Clothe yourself. What does that mean? It means to wrap yourself or, or literally to tie, a, tie an apron around yourself and cover yourself with this lowliness of mind. You say, is there any great illustrations of that in our Bible? Yes, John chapter 13, Jesus walks into the upper room. He's looking around at all the disciples. They've all got dirty feet. And he's thinking to himself, is anybody going to wash their feet? And so what does he do? The Bible tells us very specifically what he does. The first thing he does is what? He grabs a basin and he does what? He ties an apron around himself. That's the picture. And Jesus takes the initiative there and he does what everybody else in the room should have been doing to him. And he says, okay, let me show you what sacrificial service and love is. Let me show you and demonstrate for you what humility is. And he grabs the basin of water. He ties the apron around his waist and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Act of humility. He gets to Judas's feet. Now remember Judas, we already know what Judas is doing. Is he going to wash Judas's feet? The one who's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver? Is he going to wash his feet? The one that is going to kiss him on the cheek as a sign of betrayal? He certainly does. He certainly does wash his feet as well. Act of humility in relationships. Because that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. He would clothe himself daily with humility towards one another. In fact, the verse that we haven't looked at yet, but is worth looking at in Philippians chapter 2, verse, verses 3 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, it says it very clearly. Do, do nothing. Do nothing. From what? From selfish ambition. Nothing. Are you sure there's not like little room for something? Like just a little bit? No. No, it's nothing. And by the way, every Bible translates it as nothing, in case you're trying to find one. I was kind of like, maybe there's one that maybe, no, they all, they all do. Nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing from conceit. But what? In humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you what? Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is so great. This next line is super helpful. Have this mind among yourselves, which what? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours. One way it's yours. In Christ Jesus, it's yours. Not amongst your own power, not amongst your own willpower, but in Christ Jesus, this is how you have this mindset. Who what? Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. What does it say? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is humility. This is Christ-likeness. This is becoming like our Savior, the one who would humble himself. He would do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of empty conceit, but he would instead prefer others more important than himself. This is what humility is. 
And this is what Peter is getting at here. He's saying, look, persecution's here. It's underway. We're all feeling it. We're feeling the hardship of it. We're feeling the insults. We're feeling the hatred. We're, we're recognizing this as, as a church is being persecuted. There's physical suffering. There's emotional suffering. There's the pressures of life. And Peter says this, here's what I need you to do, church. I, I need you to clothe yourself in humility. I need you to humble yourselves under, under the, the authority of God, the mighty hand of God. I need you to do it with one another and, and towards one another. And so God puts relationships in our life as an opportunity for you to humble yourself. Will I decide going into this conversation if I'm going to humble myself? That person just said something that I really didn't like. Am I going to humble myself? That person continually does these things to me. Am I going to humble myself? Relationships have a way of humbling you. I just got an email that I didn't like. My neighbor keeps doing these things, right? Everywhere we look, we're in relationship, and God is, God is using these relationships as a means by which you get to decide to humble yourself. Let me give you some descriptions of humble people in relationships. This is how humble people respond in relationships. One, they're gentle and patient. They're slow to speak and they're quick to listen. They're overwhelmed with God's grace in this relationship that they see it as undeserving. They talk about others with delight and goodness. They prefer to serve others over self. They're teachable always learning and growing. They're, they maximize your own sin and minimize the sin of others. Not critical, but kind. Genuinely glad for others' accomplishments and characters and friendships and kids and life and possessions. They're genuinely glad for others. And God can use these relationships that you have as a means by which he is asking you to humble yourself in this way. So we humble ourselves in relationship. Colossians 3.12 makes it clear too. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Ephesians 4.2 2 says this, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience. And then it says this, here's the relational, bearing with one another in love. So the first place that God is asking of us and showing us, hey, in our relationships, you need to humble yourself. Secondly is this, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And that's very clear. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That phrase there, we need to understand this phrase, the phrase there, the mighty hand of God. What, what does the mighty hand of God, what does that mean? 
Well, in the Old Testament, it means a couple of things. I'll just draw a couple of things to you. It, uh, uh, it means one, it means deliverance. Back in Exodus, we just referenced this in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 19 and, and, and verse 20, it says this, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled, unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. So God would use his mighty hand as a means of deliverance for people, right? He needed to deliver Israel out of the grip of Pharaoh and to move them into, eventually into the promised land. But also the mighty hand of God is also used for purification. It is also used for growth and spiritual growth. And it is also used even for hardship. This is what it says in Job 30, 19 to 22. It says this, cast God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me, and here it is. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me to ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. So God's hand is, is both used as a hand of deliverance, but also used as a hand of testing, a hand of trials, a hand of maturing, and a hand of growing the believer. And so what he is saying here, when he's talking about the mighty hand of God and to humble yourself underneath it or to line yourself underneath it, what he is talking about here is that we would humble ourselves in such a way where we understand and see that the mighty hand of God is working in us to humble us so that he could exalt us. That the mighty hand of God is actually used in a trial in your life to humble you so that he may exalt you. That he is divinely orchestrating every circumstance and every trial that comes your way. And he's saying, submit to that. Submit to God's authority in that. Submit to God's providence in that. Line yourself underneath the, the, the mighty hand of God. It's for your purification. It's for your maturity. And we don't ever, listen church, we don't ever want to fight the mighty hand of God. <laughs> we don't want to take on that arm wrestle at all. That is not our fight. That, that is lose before you sign up. We don't want to fight the mighty hand of God. We don't want to test the mighty hand of God. We don't want to fight back against the mighty hand of God. Peter makes it clear, this is, this is what you need to do. Humble yourselves underneath it. Submit to it. Trust the Lord in it. And when we do that, look at, look at what it says. There's a purpose clause there. So that, this is why it is good for us to submit to God's mighty hand and to humble ourselves underneath it. It is so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He may exalt you in those times. This is the great Christian paradox that we would humble ourselves so that God would exalt us that we would stop trying to exalt ourselves for God to humble us. And if you want to go up, you must first go down. 
Matthew 23, 12 says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Luke 1, 52 says this, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he, exalt, and he has exalted those who were humble. And as I said before in John, 3, John 3, 30, John the Baptist says this, He must increase, but I must, present tense, continually over and over and over again, I must continually increase decrease. And in his time, in his perfect time, as it says there, at the proper time, God will remove the trial. The proper time, it it will eventually be gone. And for some, it may not be gone until Christ's return, but eventually he is going to exalt the humble He is going to take the humble with him to eternity. Make this clear, church. I want to make this very clear. The proud do not get into heaven. The proud do not get into heaven. Those who think they can save themselves do not get into heaven. They they are not the ones who are exalted. The humble are. Only the humble are. Only those who have said, God, I cannot save myself. God, I can't do enough good things to appease the wrath of God. God, I cannot pay my debt with all that I have and with all that I owe. If I was even to give it to you and lay it at your feet, it would not be enough. Only the humble who come before him and say, God, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I am in desperate need of you. I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer you. I beg of you for the forgiveness of sins. Would you impute Christ's righteousness upon my life? And in that time, when Christ returns, he is going to take those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and humbled themselves to the point where they have said, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. He is my salvation. He is my Lord. He is my God. And I have to ask you this, church, before we move on to the, the third point next week, but this, before we move on to that, I have to ask you this. Have you humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God? Are you there? Do you see what's going on in your life as a way by which God is asking you to do self-reflection on your own heart, to find the pride so you can repent of it, to soften up the rough edges of your heart so that you can become more like Jesus Christ? Have you humbled yourself? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. With the goal being Christ-likeness. Because God so desperately wants to exalt you, but it only happens in humility. Number three, I'll just give it to you, give you something to look forward to for next time. It's this. Number three is this. Humble yourself by casting your cares on him. Man, prayer has a way of humbling us. In fact, only the humble pray. Because proudful people don't need prayer. Only the humble do. So next time, we'll spend a week 
talking about humbling ourselves by casting our cares on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, I don't even really know where to begin. But to say this, Lord, thank you for modeling humility for us. Thank you for being the one who set the course before us to show us what it means to walk on this earth in humility. And the truth is, Lord, that we all, we all struggle with this. Various times and to various degrees, pride and humility are not personality traits. Pride is sin. Humility is Christ-likeness. And we're striving towards Christ-likeness and humility. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to reveal to us the places that we need to repent and confess of. It's always hard to do. It's taking the the surgeon's knife to the heart and cutting it open to, to find places where we need to repent. And but Lord, we know this that the cross is ready to forgive. There's so much grace and mercy for us. You want to exalt us in your time. But it says so clearly to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so help us, Lord, to do that. Encourage our hearts even today. We get to sing a song about how wonderful you are. We get to behold God even in our singing, and so remind us of that, your greatness and your mercy and your grace as we strive to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ, as we effort to walk in humility. In Jesus' name, amen.